Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. I'm Michael. That's Jacob. Say hello. Hey, hey everybody. Um, what are we discussing this episode? We'll be discussing Joe's apartment, Independence Day. You forgot. Why am I blanking? <laughs> Last Man Standing, Tin Cup, and The Rock. <laughs> All right, everybody. So it's time for Welcome to Joe's Apartment. It's our apartment, our apartment too. too. We've been here yeah. for a half a million years, and we'll be here long after you. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, no, I felt like the cockroach part in this movie was definitely inspired by like old school cartoons at like Woody Woodpecker, as I think you were referring to. Yeah, well, there's lots of cartoons where there's pests. I keep thinking of, like the old mice cartoons, you know, like not just Tom and Jerry, but the ones that Warner Brothers would do. And um, oh yeah, there isn't there one where there's a um, a bunch of fleas on top of a dog, and there's that one uh, um, that would just sing or whatever. Oh, she's coming around the mountain when she comes or whatever, and he chomp, chomp, chomp on his butt, and he's like ah. Um, I'll have to remember it. So, do you know who does the special effects in this? No. Blue Sky. It's one of their first major productions. This would lead to them getting a contract with Fox to do Ice Age. Wow. Wait, did Blue Sky eventually become Skydance? No, no. Blue Sky is the company that did, like, uh, robots and... Uh, um, uh, all the Ice Age movies. They did a couple others in there somewhere. I think they did the Peanuts movie. And then when uh, Disney bought Fox, they shut Blue Sky down, which fucking... Come on, guys. Uh, what? <sighs> it seems like they're... It seems... It's so weird that for years, Disney's bread and butter was the animation. Now it seems like they don't even care about any of their animation at all. Like, they threw away, uh, like, a lot of Pixar movies in their own divisions. Like, I don't understand what they're doing. That was their go-to. The Marvel thing... And, you know, Star Wars thing is going to wear out its welcome. It is. It's just going to exhaust itself. And at the end of the day, they're like, ah, well, maybe we shouldn't have thrown away all these animated movies. Whoops. Yeah, no, honestly, if anybody gets a chance, definitely see Elemental. Yeah, so these, are the, so these are the movies that they did that weren't uh, uh, Ice Age. So it was Robots, Horton Hears a Who, uh, Rio, mm. Epic, uh, the Peanuts movie, Ferdinand. Their last one was Spies in Disguise before uh, they got shut down. Yes. Yeah, but that's how they now, started. They started off doing uh, animation. So this this was an MTV short. Did you know that? I yes, I think I remember. Yeah, I just remember seeing shorts uh, in between stuff on MTV, like as a kid. Yeah, you remember when MTV was like more of a catch-all of whatever was odd and weird, especially like in the early '90s. They were doing animation and sketch comedy. The oddities. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were doing uh, the Max and stuff like that. Of course, Beavis and Butthead. It the just head. seemed like yeah, it just seemed like there was a time when. MTV was like more experimental and just throwing whatever at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, and honestly, I felt like they still uh, should have kept doing that because now all they are TV. Yeah, it's just mostly reality TV. Most cable is reality TV anymore because they can't afford the budgets that the streaming services are uh, putting out. Well, hell, the fucking streaming services can't even afford those budgets. <laughs> no, well, if they, not if they don't want to pay their writers. Yeah. It's cheap. Well, this is Joe's apartment is the first official MTV production where you know it's theatrical release they had with um, Paramount. This one, oddly enough, I don't know if Paramount has first dibs and they they passed it on it or whatever. This is a Warner Brothers distributed film, um, but you know ninety nine percent of what MTV did when it came out from Paramount because like right after this you have. Uh, Beavis and Butthead do America, and then that just cements their their contract with MTV and and Paramount for years to come. I judge. <laughs> the um. Yeah. So it's a, it's a weird animated musical live action hybrid. It made no money when it came out in theaters, but it became like a big cult following on video. And of course, it played since it was owned by MTV. It played on MTV like constantly. Time, I, I mean, I don't know, me being a kid with all my toys and video games and all the other shit I was into, I always kept missing the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I think this is the first time I ever saw it from the very beginning. So you didn't see the part where he's all he's beat up and all his stuff is taken, and then he eventually gets the apartment because the lady just dies right in front of him. Yeah, <laughs> and then he has to pay off as his grandma because his, his artist friend, whose last name is shit, 
ends up like kind of like conning all the you know conning the gangsters right in front of him who are trying to you know lay claim to that apartment to lay it to lay it down it's all part of like a big uh real estate uh scheme yeah yeah um oddly enough this fits very well with uh batteries not included it has a similar theme oh really well, I mean, think about Batteries Not Included. It's this one oh, dilapidated yeah. building, basically, and they're trying to tear it down, and then they have these crazy robots come in and try to save the day from these guys who are trying to kick them out. It's it's very similar plot. Absolutely. You think the people who came up with it were, like, fans of that movie, Batteries Not Included, then? Yeah. The, um, the roaches are voiced by Billy West, which, of course, everybody knows him from, like, Ren Stimpy and Futurama. Uh, Reginald Hudlin, who was the director of House Party, Boomerang, and I think it a movie that's coming up next week called or next episode, The Great White Hype. Jim Turner, who I'm actually friends with on Facebook, uh, he played uh, Walter Shit. He also did the voice of some of the cockroaches. Uh, B.D. Wong, of course, everybody knows B.D. Wong mostly because of, like the Jurassic Park franchise. Um, and Dave Chappelle, really early in his career, holy shit, Dave Chappelle. <laughs> oh my god. I was wondering why some of those voices sounded familiar. I'm like, okay, that's high pitched, but that cast sounded awfully familiar. Yeah, and Tim Blake Nelson, of course, everybody knows him uh, for. Oh, new, yeah. Well, most people probably know him from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But you know, um, and then Corey Burton, who did, I want to say, he did a bunch of animated cartoons that we watched as kids, like Transformers and GI Joe and stuff like that. But yeah, that's yes. that's the cast of all those cockroaches. So. Inter- interspersed with the main plot are these weird little uh, musical numbers with the roaches like funky towel towel's got the funk <laughs> oh god yes and then them explaining their existence to Joe and helping him out yeah oh man but oh, seeing that many cockroaches I was like oh god yeah it's a little gross have you ever seen a cockroach in real life I don't think I have not that big yeah I, I honestly don't know if I've ever seen one um Really early in Jerry O'Connell's career, um, most people had seen him in Stand By Me, but then he kind of disappeared. I watched him in a syndicated superhero show called My Secret Identity. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, when did this come out? It was, I want to say it was 87 to 90. It was a syndicated TV show. It was a real low-budget Canadian thing, but uh, he had powers that he could he could uh, uh, help his neighborhood. It wasn't big scope. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, so he was a more street-level community hero. Yeah, yeah. Like, he was working at a video store once, and then uh, he finds that one of the videotapes is actually hollow, and it's filled with cocaine. He has to stop the local drug dealers with the help of his professor friend who accidentally gave him the powers. <laughs> yes, it all has to start with cocaine. And if it definitely, I mean, honestly, if it took place in New York, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Especially... Especially the Sugar Hill game just started playing in the background. <laughs> yeah, actually, I don't remember where my secret identity takes place. I want to say it's like Seattle. Back then, everything was shot, like syndicated was shot in Vancouver, pretending to be... Oh. Well, or it was Toronto pretending to be in New York. It all depended. Um, we have Megan Ward. Oh, lovely Megan Ward. If you don't know, the early 90s was dominated by her presence. Um, we had PCU, Encino Man. I want to say like a couple of the Trancers movies. She just seemed like one of those... Uh, you know, actresses that was everywhere for a while and just vamoosed, disappeared. I know, it's a shame. It'll usually happen like that. It's like, yeah, they look for someone pretty, young and up and coming, and then, boom. They're not Academy Award material, they're gone. Look at, I mean, look at Shannon Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, whatever happened to her, I have no idea. Sadly, no. <sighs> So, yeah, the main plot is very much like Batteries Not Included. Uh, one of the weirdest things is there's a whole bit where he's collecting poop and, like, these toilet... What are those toilet things called? The little pink toilet things. Like like urinal cakes? Urinal cakes, that's it. Um, yeah. And so he's collecting all this, whatever, but he has a boss in there. <laughs> Played by David Huston. Most people probably know him as he played Santa Claus in Santa Claus the movie as his boss. But he has this improv sequence where he keeps talking about uh, Joe's mom. <laughs> Does she still put her hair up in that sexy way? Is she still saucy little minx? And he's just so uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> For real, I'm like, oh God, I want to fast forward this. Yeah, and it, it's so awkward and weird. Yeah, it just makes you squirm. But 
It's just funny how he just does whatever it takes to survive in New York because he doesn't want to go back to his hometown as a failure. This could also kind of fit in with Secret of My Success, and you know, but everything goes wrong. Like the uns, the non-Secret of My Success, the failure of my success. <laughs> the Secret of My Failure, <laughs> that's better. Right, especially because, you know, after that, company ends up going downhill oh job there and then there's a stop do you remember the sequence where he's in the park all panicked and upset about his company going down the tubes or whatever and there's a giant urinal cake there and it turns out it's usable (laughs) (laughs) right uh oh gosh well there's robert vaughn as megan ward's dad who loves to wear lingerie which doesn't seem all that kinky now it's like yeah fuck it whatever you want to wear lingerie we're cool with that but in 96 (laughs) it seemed pretty weird Oh god, yes, I know, especially to like a younger audience and, and of course them not going into the whole spectrum of sexuality. Yeah. Oh, and Don Ho, the weirdest fucking cam. I don't think Don Ho has ever acted before. And it's just so weird that he's this nasty landlord guy who wants to take over the neighborhood with his two uh look-alike, well, you know what I mean, look uh one's African American, one's Caucasian, but I mean they they look <laughs> Shaved head, same yeah. clothes, they might as well twins. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is a cult favorite of mine, kind of like Cabin Boy, where, yeah, it didn't make very uh, much money, and it's really super short. You can clearly tell they barely were able to make it. And, you know, critics didn't like it, but something about it is so unique in its vision that I can't help but appreciate it. Oh, no, definitely. I mean, of course, growing up in the 90s and watching this part, oh, God, especially that scene when Joe's just had enough. And he's, like, trying to get rid of all the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my babies! My babies! <laughs> oh, all 10,000 of them? Yeah. Uh, there's there's a rodeo one in there, too, I really like, where he's trying to get, they're trying to stop the cat. I, I thought that was hilarious. Oh, God, yes. No. <laughs> oh, man. I like all the hijinks and stuff that went on in this movie was just absolutely awful and ridiculous. Oh, God. Especially when they ended up building that park at the end and giving Joe the deed. Oh, yeah, yeah, to yeah. That yeah. property. That's it's a lot of fun stop motion animation mixed in with early CGI. The CGI works because cockroaches aren't there. There are a particular look to them that you can fake. I think easier than like more flexible flesh kind of animals, you know, because they're very stiff. They're almost like flying spaceships. So that, that was one of the early things you could do with CGI. Yeah, definitely. That's why it's still kind of honestly. Yeah, that's why it's still held up for so long. Yeah. Um, what is our next film? Okay, next room. Disaster movie. Definitely one of the biggest. Uh, Independence Day. This is the... We talked about it with Twister. This is the year that the disaster movie comes back. And it's never going to hit this peak again. I feel like there's another one in here that did okay. But then we got like the disaster movie with uh, the two asteroid movies. and Oh yeah, it was Armageddon made a fuck ton of money. That's right. Armageddon... Uh, Deep Impact, Volcano, and uh, Dante's Peak. Uh, there was a fire one in there with Howie Long. I can't remember the name of it. Firestorm, I think. But, yeah, it's it's weird. This revival didn't last anywhere nearly as long as, like, the revival you saw, or, or, or the whole disaster movies in the 70s. Um, and we do keep going back to this. I feel like we see sequels and remakes to these franchises. I mean, of course, there's the sequel to this. I didn't hate it like a lot of people did. What did you think of Resurgence? No, I don't think I've ever watched it. Oh, it's not bad. I mean, it's still it's still replicating. It's basically a clone, almost a remake of the original, except no Will Smith. Um, but it's not terrible. A lot of people said it was just complete and utter shit. And it does seem like it was a desperate attempt by Roland Emmerich. That's why I'm kind of glad that he's never done Stargate again because it's been so long. I don't think people are going to remember Stargate, so they're just going to end up remaking it. Right, and then of course there was the series spinoffs like SG One yeah, and Atlantis yeah. and whatnot, That's which which kept it alive. But yeah, uh, as far as Independence Day goes, oh god, this I remember seeing this in theaters. Yeah, I saw this in driving with um. Never mind, I can't remember now. <laughs> I'll look it oh, up man. later. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Seriously, uh, this was like definitely pushed. Like there was action figures, you know. Ones of Jeff Goldblum. Uh, I don't think I ever. I, I just wanted the one of Bill Pullman. Oh, well, I remember this is a thing that Roland Emmerich really capitalized on because Stargate 
they they sold a lot of the toys, but I remember they made too many, and then we ended up getting a lot of them clearance. But Independence Day, Godzilla, um, well, I guess he's not going to make any of the Patriot. Now, is he, I can't believe they didn't make toys of Universal Soldier. That seems ripe for a toy line, it, and at least in my opinion. I know, for real, that is a surprise. I mean, there was a game of it. Oh, no, I think, I, I don't know if I said this last time. I can't remember if I saw Dragonheart with Independence Day. I feel like I did. I think you did. Okay. So I'm looking through these. I saw Mission Impossible, Dragonheart, uh, Independence Day, and I feel like there's a couple others I saw. That, oh, no, 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 no. I, I saw Nutty Professor with one of them. Holy fuck, how do we not discuss Nutty Professor? Oh, because I don't have it yet. I have to find Nutty Professor. We, we were discussing this, everybody. You're you're going to you're gonna go through these episodes and I wonder how did we miss certain movies. It's because it's not in the database uh, on my Voodoo for us to share. So, like, I, I just realized today that we missed both Wayne's World's movie. Both. That's crazy. I, well, I own both of them on Blu-ray, so, you know, that's not too much of a problem for me. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what I saw with Independence Day now. I can't even figure it out. It was one of those. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, but... <laughs> no, it's all good, Michael. Um, but, yeah, again, this was, like, definitely one of the big movies of the summer that year. You know, it had a little bit of everything, great score. Oh, God, even a little some of the sub-characters, like uh, Randy Quaid. Like the one who who had some experience with the aliens, but everybody thought he was crazy. Yeah, well, and he was crippled, uh, alcoholic, and he was just ruining his life and his family's life. And um, I think he gets the biggest um, payoff. I think you know his sacrifice. He, he you know he sobers himself up and does what he needs to do because he knows that if he doesn't that uh his family's dead and and he does whatever it takes to save not only his family i think he would have done it anyway even if his family hadn't been there i think he would have sacrificed to save all of those people oh absolutely yeah no he was there he was the only one with the missile left and then of course this was like you know it was personal against him yeah <laughs> especially in that one of his last lines you know from me to you up Yours. <laughs> I think he goes, Daddy's home! <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, hello, boys. I'm back. Oh, that's it. And um, it off the chain reaction. This is how bad my memory is. I forgot we just discussed it in the last episode. Okay, so now I remember. It's Dragonheart and Nutty Professor. I saw the drive-in. I saw Mission Impossible with The Phantom. And then I saw Broken Arrow a second time with Independence Day. Because they almost always did as double features from the same company. And we just discussed that last episode, and I still forgot. Duh. Dun, dun, dun. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the hype for this was incredible. And I think maybe that's why I didn't like it very much the first time I saw it, because the hype was so big that I expected the greatest movie in the world. Now, here's another problem. I had just watched V. I don't remember how I saw it. I think they showed it on television because they didn't have it on DVD yet. No, uh, the video store had it on VHS, one of those double cassettes. Do you remember when they used to have to do that? Double cassettes because the movie was so damn long? <laughs> they did that with Titanic. Yeah. The, uh, oh, my God. So I, I kept watching this, and I was like, oh, this is just basically the formula for V, except they don't get into the characters as much. I And I watched it again. I hadn't seen it in a really long time because I just thought it was one of those movies that everybody said was the most amazing thing ever, and I was like, Ugh, I don't know, man. I didn't see it. It seemed that great. Um, well, it did. It definitely did a lot for Will Smith's career, and I mean, Jeff Goldblum's always going to be Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, you know, can't help but love him. But I watched it this time, and I I think that my problem is the performances and the characters are written too broad. There's no nuance. It's a little too obvious. Like, um. Uh, Judd Hirsch as Jeff Goldblum's dad is just, it's too big. Harvey Weinstein's too big. It's, it's, and some of the shit that fucking Will Smith says, uh, it doesn't seem like really a character or acting. It's like as if they said, well, you need these catchphrases. Like his best friend just got blown up. Harry Connick Jr. just got his, you know, shit blown to pieces. And he's screaming, no, whatever. And then he's kicking this alien's ass, whatever. And he's like, welcome to Earth. And pops a cigar in his mouth and goes, well, talk about a close encounter or something like that. And I'm like, that is not how a person reacts after their best friend just got killed by this thing. I, I thought that was kind of bullshit. No, definitely. That was definitely a Hollywood. That was all Hollywood. Yeah. You can't deny that. Um, I think this started the trend of Save the Dog. 
Do you, I think they even wrote a book about it because in these big epic movies, the dog always has to survive by some miraculous means. <laughs> Thank yes. goodness, because I can't stand it when the dog dies. I know, it's just awful. If it does happen, it better turn into John fucking Wick because otherwise I don't understand it. <laughs> oh, God, yes. And it better be a, and there should be a better turnout than what happened in Man of Steel. Yeah. The, um... Uh. So, yeah, it, it did a whole lot for Will Smith, but it's so strange that it really didn't seem to do much for Jeff Goldblum and uh, Bill Pullman. I mean, Bill Pullman was building up pretty big through those years, because you've seen over the last three or four years that we've done, the seasons, I guess you want to call them, is that he's been building up through, like, you know, Sleep in Seattle, Summersby, um, While You Were Sleeping, uh, Casper, and then this... And then immediately after this, he just does a bunch of smaller independent movies that don't make any money, and then his career was basically over with. Personal choice? I have no idea. And what did Goldblum have after this? He had the second Jurassic Park. I couldn't fucking tell you anything after that that got any notice. No, but we still see Jeff Goldblum around, like, in almost everywhere. Like, from the latest season of Big Mouth to, oh, God, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, God. Why well, I, I love, he's such a unique persona that he'll always be remembered. The problem with Bill Pullman is he's the everyman. Of all these people, he's the everyman. And I, I worry sometimes that 20 years from now, no one's going to know who he was if it wasn't for like the two or three big epic movies. But they might not even know him by his name. They might just go, oh, the president guy, you know? Right. I mean, per, I mean, I always knew him from Spaceballs. So okay, that's yes, what got yes. me hooked in um, if you look between, so Spaceballs, and then he does Serpent in the Rainbow. After that, it gets really lower level, and there's like five or six really small, barely released or directed video movies that he did that are, I, I would kind of like to go to Discover. Like, he did one that's an airplane kind of spoof called, um, Going Under, I think. It's a submarine spoof, like Old World uh, War II. Okay. And then he did one called Nervous Ticks, where he's a psychiatrist having a meltdown, and there's one with him, and... Him and Bill Paxton did do a movie together called Brain Dead. Um, I want to see sometime, but yeah, it's really interesting. There's a few years there where it was a little dry. Yeah, I know. I think in the, I know. I know he appeared in one of the scary movies when they were doing the spoof of Signs. Yeah. In that sequence, uh, he did appear in that. He was pretty funny. The um, the cast in this is loaded to the gills. That's one of the classic things of. Uh, disaster movies is that you have your main stars, but you also pad it with like character actors or actors that are kind of like past their prime. You know, like it's like 20 years after their peak. And this thing is just, I mean, Lotus, it goes, you see Adam Baldwin, you see Robert Loja, um, Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner, uh, who almost steals the fucking movie, even though he's only in it for maybe what, five minutes. Yes. Amazing performance. And I, I think he comes back for the sequel. I remember he doesn't, I'm pretty sure he doesn't die. He's just like in a weird state. Like he has a permanent yes. psychic connection to the aliens. Yes, that's what did it. I yeah. mean, again, yeah, he wasn't hurt. He wasn't thrashed around. He was just taken over by the aliens. So it's, yeah, he could still have been alive. So those suits are really interesting. The whole design is done by Patrick Tatopoulos, who did the Stargate and did Godzilla and, and some other stuff. I think he did the Underworld series. Um, oh, his that's design why his name sounded so familiar. His design is so interesting because it's like this massive endoskeleton. Inside is this little itty bitty nothing alien. Like I, so, were there two different kinds of aliens? The giant ones that were up on the ship in space when they were up there, and then the little ones that are like the warriors inside these giant endoskeletons with like the weird thrashing. I, I didn't really understand that. Yeah, I felt like that big one was just an exo was like an exosuit. Okay. Um, I wish this had been the return of lasers to action movies, and maybe it did. It was just delayed. But do you remember, like, once the '80s got to its halfway point, all of a sudden, all space movies just had guns, like real guns with real bullets, like. You can see the line of demarcation between Last Starfighter and Aliens. The minute Aliens came out, all of a sudden, like, oh, we need hard sci-fi. And everybody's like a military guy, and they have these guns loaded to the gills with bullets instead of laser guns. Yeah, you would think that the weapons would be a lot more advanced than, you know, standard old-school bullets. Yeah, well, in space, it doesn't make any sense to me. What the fuck? You can't have a bullet go through a ship. (laughs) Better not have any windows. Yeah, no, for real. And, uh, yeah, I mean, go ahead. 
that was still like I mean hey it still ended up being a huge success and had some of the perfect lines aliens did yeah but yeah but this uh, Independence Day going back to this yeah they actually brought back especially with the the alien ships actually had lasers yeah I know, and, love it it, was, it started with Stargate they they had lasers in that one but this one they really go big this is this is your generation Star Wars um, because you were too young you weren't alive when the Star Wars movies came out and then all the clones um, right yes well you're born like, no I did I think you think you were born wait eighty eight right so it was four years after Last Starfighter which is the last gasp of those so for a long time you didn't have anything that was like big spaceships lasers and stuff like that until this then the Star Wars revival oh yes definitely um, I mean we did have the VHS of the Star Wars movies yeah but you I know, mean you weren't we're there for that, that but yeah yeah I wasn't there for the big spectacle until spent you know the remastered the special edition uh of the original trilogy and then phantom menace and so on so yeah independence day was like definitely the big uh, sci-fi spectacle for my yeah i wonder i wonder if independence day helped lead the path i mean star wars nostalgia really started to kick in around 94 but i'm wondering if independence day helped george lucas make up his mind about hey let's let's go back and fix up these movies because I mean, maybe he had already started working on it because if you think about it, this is like seven months before the A New Hope is re-released in theaters. I don't know how that stuff works. Like, how long does it take or, or what? Um, well, but- that also with what ILM was able to do, I mean, with this movie and Stargate in particular, he wanted to like go back and like revisit and do some of the things. And I think he wanted to get out of uh, paying his ex-wife royalties. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> um yeah, so this is definitely, I mean, this was a phenomenon. This is the biggest movie of the year. I think it was the first movie to hit $300 million in a very long time. I think that before this, only two other movies had done it, which was E.T. and um, Star Wars. And those movies took multiple releases to hit $300 million. Independence Day did it in its first run. And so that's actually more interesting. Yes, I understand inflation changes those numbers, So, but still, it's impressive that it hit that much. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, and then you, you like round it up; it'd still be impressive and a success. Yeah. Um, so, I think this is the longest we've ever talked about any movie. I think on this show. <laughs> yeah. No. Again, how can you can you blame us? I mean, considering how big of a movie this is. Yeah. Like, just across oh. the board, just a wake up call that people wanted sci-fi again, like big budget, fun sci-fi. Exactly. I mean, heck, speaking of sci-fi, I'm looking forward to the next part of Dune this year. Yeah, we'll see if that. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. I saw I I've already seen Dune a couple times, and I just thought, oh, I feel like I'm just just treading the water with just better special effects. That's all. Again, uh, the the latest one with by at least Villeneuve. Oh God, beautiful, one of the best. All right, what's next? Okay, next one is a bit of a switch up, going to a little something more small scale, and stars Kevin Costner. Go, uh, tin Cup. Oh, boy, did he need this in his career. Waterworld really took the, the wind out of his sails, to make a pun. Um, I love Waterworld. I mean, I fucking love Waterworld, but I can see how we kind of alienated people. It's a very specific kind of action movie. And the hype for it compared to the critical drubbing and, and the whole behind-the-scenes thing really just like kind of fucked with his following. People had heard that he was an ego freak on set and that he was costing the movie more than it needed to be. Plus, there was the whole disaster that destroyed the whole set. So he had a lot of bad press. And Tin Cup, now while it wasn't a massive hit, I think it made like 50 or 60 million, it was a palate cleanser. Sadly, he was never, ever, ever able to build on that again because his dumb ass, his ego... <laughs> said, hey, you know how that post-apocalyptic movie that was really expensive nearly destroyed my career? <laughs> I'm doing another one! <laughs> and the postman really just sunk his ass. It did. Oh, God. Uh, look, I know he, he, he still had, his movies still opened okay, but they just never hit really profitable. Because, what, he had, for love of the game, uh that bottle uh message in a bottle you know stuff like that dragonfly you know just whatever he never hit that level again and tin cup is one of those it's insanely pleasing this i'm gonna say it 
is the best golf movie ever made. Look, I love Caddyshack. I love Happy Gilmore. They're not necessarily about golf. They just take place on a golf course. This is about golf. Absolutely. Heck, even with how this movie ended, you know, just that one particular shot, making that one shot that was unmakeable was what mattered. Yeah, he was so stubborn and so driven. Here's the thing is I hadn't seen it forever. I couldn't remember, and I was stressed out of my mind. (laughs) So, honestly, after watching this movie, you kind of think he was playing himself a little bit. Yeah. Um, A guy who's so driven by whatever he wants that he's self-destructive. He has his opinions and his beliefs, whatever, and he refuses to compromise on them. It fits very well with the other movie that he did with Ron Shelton, Bull Durham, about a guy who almost made it, but he's just so focused on what he wants that he kind of gets in his own way. Absolutely. And you see that play throughout the movie. Like, you know, Rene uh, Rene Russo being a psychologist, you know, analyzing him on and off the course. And then, of course, and then uh, things matters worse. She's dating Don Johnson, who was kind of a rival of his. It's so funny to me that if this had been four years earlier, Don Johnson would have been the star. He really would have. He was red hot uh, coming off of Miami Vice, and he could have done this movie. But by the time this came around, his career was over, at least in in theaters. Right. And oh god, just the way they all bounce off each other, and then of course Cheech Marin being his like supporting supportive friend. Oh my god, he's so good, right? I mean, this is a complete and absolute pull away from the Cheech and Chong view that you had of him. Oh, absolutely. Would you say that this is where he and Don Johnson got together, get some familiarity before doing Nash Bridges? Well, I've been trying to figure that one out. Because the way that TV pilots are shot and put together, and the way movies are shot and put together, and when they're released, it's interesting. I feel like they had already done the pilot for Nash Bridges by this point. Because this doesn't come out till summer of 96. Nash Bridges debuted spring of 96. So that means the pilot for that was more than likely shot in spring of 95. And they just ordered 13 episodes for the next season. I think they had already done the first 13 episodes of Nash Bridges before Tin Cup. <clears throat> oh, wow. And, and maybe wow. based on that is either one or the other got each other the job. Mm, okay. That would make a lot more sense. Yeah, it's just everybody in this is so fucking likable. Even Don Johnson being the, the nemesis, still pretty fucking likable. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh no! When we came to the restaurant, making that one particular shot, <laughs> yeah, and betting money on it. <laughs> the uh, so Ron Shelton is known for sports movies, uh, The Best of Times, Bull Durham, White Men Can't Jump, Blue Chips, Cobb, The Great White Hype, which we get to discuss next episode, I think, um, and Tin Cup. Uh, there's a boxing movie, uh, Play to the Bone, with Woody Harrelson and. Oh. Um, not Antonio Antonio Banderas, that's it. And then all of a sudden he switched to cop movies and then it just kind of dried out for him. There was a time, though, when you got truly excited by anything that he had coming out. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, especially with, again, a star-studded cast. You know, especially who was red hot at the time, for sure. Yeah, there was and- a pilot for this as a TV show. For some reason, they didn't call it Tin Cup the series, though. I don't understand. But it had Bruce Campbell, and I want to see it was called Oddballs or something like that, and uh, it was an ABC pilot that didn't go to series. Oh, dang. Yeah, I think it's on yeah. YouTube. If I find it later, I'll show it to you. No, definitely do so, please. But yeah, honestly, like, Tin Cup overall, I would say would definitely be one of Elton's uh, favorite films. Yeah. Like, one of my favorites of anything. Uh, again... The comedy, the charm, and again, how this underdog, Tin Cup, coming up, just about to pretty much win this tour uh, until that freaking last shot had it on there, and then it ended up just go, it, it ended up just getting into the water. But in, in, it's like they keep telling him, just take the safe shot, and you can get this in just two. No, he refuses, and he like goes what eighty. 
80, uh, 18, I'm sorry, 18 shots or 20 or whatever points against him because, because every time he drops the ball, I don't know, I've never played golf in my life. Uh, every time he drops the ball, that's, that's a, a strike against him. And then if, whenever he misses, that's yeah, another one. Yeah, that's such a crazy, I've never, I've only ever been to a driving range, so. His his dream right. of just having a driving range seems pretty nice to me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I like and, and, you know, that. Definitely works out best for him. Yeah. And again, definitely was able to make that shot finally. Oh my god, not to spoil it for you, but yeah, uh, the TV show was called Missing Links. Yeah, it was only one episode uh, for uh, ABC, but they didn't pick it up. Oh, uh, okay. Damn. All right. What is our next movie? Last Man Standing with. Bruce Willis. The leanest, meanest, badass fucking movie of 1996. Holy shit, this thing spits like uh, chaw. It is like, it's just like it's the manliest thing I've seen in a long time. And holy fuck, this tanked. This tanked so goddamn hard. I can't believe it. Yeah, no, for real. It's like uh, Bruce Willis in particular, you know, still being a big star. Uh, when it comes to action, and this didn't really go anywhere? No. Well, I was telling you, like, I think it was last episode or something like that, 1996, the last half of 96, it killed every single action movie in its path. And it destroyed careers. It destroyed Van Damme's career, destroyed Seagal's career, uh, Mario Van Peebles, his career was over with, and this really dented Bruce Willis, and he would suffer for the next few years until... uh element. You no, know, that actually didn't do that well in America. It did great overseas. Um, but it, it was, I think it was Sixth Sense that really kind of kicked his career back in overdrive. Um, the director oh, okay. of this is Walter Hill. Walter Hill is my flat-out favorite director. Um, he just he, he makes these movies that are just cut down to the bone when it comes to plot and character because or dialogue because he doesn't want to waste time with it. And... If this movie seems familiar, it's been done numerous times, but the most famous is Yo Jimbo, and then in America, we mostly know as Fistful of Dollars. Yes. So, no, se- the- Yeah, go ahead. That's why it felt so familiar. I'm like, huh, I feel like this has played out before. Yeah, it's the same plot. It's just this time he changed it, and I think it's really interesting that it is a Western but it's not a cowboy western. It's a mafia western, and it's just this weird town, uh, like a, a point between like uh, Mexico, Vegas, whatever, and Chicago, where you have an Irish gang and an Italian gang, and they're just there. Well, you think one of them would just go to another fucking town? I'm sure there's another town they could have used or built. <laughs> and oh they, God! <laughs> it's just it's it's about stubbornness, uh, and they just refuse to back off each other, and. Um, you know, and then Bruce Willis comes in, in the middle, whatever, decides, hey, let's just go have some fun with these pieces of shit. You know, he's a gun for hire, and he'll just do anything and manipulate and twist things. And God damn it. It opens with one of the cheesiest fucking moments, and I love every second of it, is when him and uh, Patrick Kilpatrick are facing off. He goes, are you thinking of shoot me? He goes, it'll hurt if I do. <laughs> yeah, it's so hilariously bad, but I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, just like the Flash Gordon film. So bad, but so good. Yeah. And and I'm confused. To this day, this movie cost nearly $70 million. And I don't know why. There's no big sets. There's no huge names outside of Bruce Willis. Now, a couple of these people would like have comebacks or they would get bigger later in life. But I, I just don't know what it is. Did they build the whole town from scratch? Is that it? Because it didn't look familiar. I've seen a million westerns and it did not look familiar. That's what I'm thinking cost a ton. Oh, yeah, that's where you think all the budget went? Actually developing that whole set? I, I don't know. I mean, at the time, Bruce Willis was only, what, $15, $20 million at most? I just, I, and Walter Hill wasn't like a guy who demanded a huge paycheck. I, I, I don't I don't know. It just so confounds me. I almost wonder if this is wrong, or they took the money from this, and, and or money from something else, and rolled it into this, which happens a lot. Um Bruce Willis took this because he had a contract in New Line Cinema and he walked away from the island of Dr. Moreau. I mean, heck, either way, he wouldn't have made money, but still, I mean, considering all the things on Dr. Moreau, yeah, no. Yeah, that's next level epic disaster. This, people still, I mean, he didn't make any money, but it was, you know, I think people have seen it finally remember it. Oh, 
Definitely, man. This was, again, the brutal shootouts. Uh, Bruce Willis, again, kind of going head over heels, helping uh, Felina, who was David Patrick Kelly's uh, wife. Yeah, is this the first time I think they've ever tried to replicate video game first-person shooter? So, yeah, because it's I like think of anything else before. I don't know how they did it. They must have developed a new camera, to, and it's so smooth. That's the thing that drives me crazy about modern action movies. And we talked about this in something else, uh, Broken Arrow, I think, where the gun is flying around like crazy. You know, the camera's following him the whole way, and it's not shaking. How can they do that then? They can't do it now. That is a good question. I can't even answer it right now. Yeah, <laughs> I almost wanted to for a minute. But uh, the big bad in this is fucking Christopher Walken. And they talk about him for the first half of the movie. You don't know who the fuck they're talking about, but whoever it is, he is like the grim fucking reaper. Fear him. And he shows up and you're like, yeah, that's that's definitely the right person to cast. This is before people thought he was funny and, and eccentric and weird. He was still like a hardcore villain type. It was supposed to be James Remar. Um, you know who that is, right? Yes, absolutely. It was supposed to be him, but the studio didn't want to go because they didn't think he was a bankable enough villain. So there, there's a multitude. Every every gang is loaded to the gills with character actors. Um, but we also have Bruce Dern. from uh, Sopranos. Yeah, uh, David Patrick Kelly, which you mentioned earlier from The Warriors. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, R.D. Call, who was uh, in Waterworld. I think that's mostly what I know him from. He's just like one of those big beefy guys with a mustache. Um, but every time you look around, it's like, oh, that guy, that guy, that guy, that guy. It's just, it's fucking amazing. And the shootouts. A lot of memorable heavies. Yeah, it's it's just one of those classic action films. And this is kind of the end of the studio run for uh, uh, Walter Hill. After this, well, technically he makes one more, but he took his name off of it because it was a disaster. And he uh, had Francis Ford Coppola finish it for him. It was called Supernova, if you've ever heard of that. Supernova. No. Is that with Angela Bassett? Yes. It was a massive, massive flop. And what whatever he wanted from the movie, the studio didn't. And they made him so frustrated, and they made him do reshoots, reshoots, reshoots. And it was supposed to be a $60 million movie that became like a $90 million movie. And he fucking uh. walked, yeah, he walked away, and Francis Ford Coppola, being the producer, had to finish it. And he took his name off as like something as Thomas Lee, I think. Um... Yeah, it just was never the same again for him. It just kind of sucks. He is, like I said, he's one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, no, it is a damn shame. I mean, I loved what he did with Warriors. I loved uh, Street of Fire. And wait, he did Commando too, didn't he? No, no, he wasn't involved in that one. So, uh, real quickly, I'll go around the big ones. The Getaway, both of those he wrote. Um, Eight hours. Yeah, 48 Hours, uh, The Long Riders, which is a really great western with the Carradines and the Keeches. Uh, Southern Comfort is his best movie, and I don't think you've ever seen it. Um, it's set during Vietnam, and it's about um, the reserves, and they're doing one of their training missions. And oh. they fuck with the bayou, uh, you know, the swamp folks, whatever. And they get they get trapped basically, and then hunted down one by one by the the Bayou people. And it's it's fuck it's an action movie, but it's also truly terrifying. Dang. Uh, Brewster's Millions, which he did after Streets of Fire. Um, yeah, that, that was a surprise. Like he did Brewster's Millions. Well, it's because of Eddie Murphy in Forty Eight Hours. I think they saw he could do comedy. Uh, so, and of course he produced all the Alien movies. He did, uh, Crossroads at Ralph Macchio, Extreme Prejudice, um, which we missed both of those. We'll go back when we do the eighties, what we missed, uh, Red Heat, Johnny Handsome, Geronimo, uh, Wild Bill. I can't remember. I think that's kind of the end of his run. And then he did a few like independent movies after that, but that's about it. Yeah, there was a few that he did. I know he did one with Stallone, I think. Yeah, I forgot. He did come back for one studio movie. It was Bullet to the Head, but it didn't do very well. I thought it was okay. Yeah, especially when that was like Stallone's comeback. Yeah, well, supposed to be his comeback. Expendables is more of his, yeah. Yeah. All right, that is the end of that. Uh, what is the next episode, or next uh, movie? Next movie, oh gosh, this was definitely a, definitely a Michael Bay classic, The Rock, with Sean Connery. and. Mm-hmm. And your old butt and your best friend, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how that shit works. 
Why does he have a southern accent? He's from the fucking... <laughs> he's an Italian from New York what the, or California. What the fuck? I'm losing my voice. I don't know like why they spin that on it. Uh, he always throws in that uh, little a southern twang. Yeah, it's so weird. Every kind of character he plays, except when he plays Dracula and Renfield. Oh my <clears> god, I couldn't get enough. I, I got to get around to seeing that. So uh, <laughs> people forget that Michael Bay actually made some movies that people like were on board with the critics, the audience, you know, and and you know I think it was the Transformers movies. Well, no, no, <clears throat> I think his next one, Armageddon, and then. Um, Pearl Harbor really did a number on him. I'm, we're going to revisit those and see if they still suck. I'm just curious. Uh, but, you know, he, he's he's done some stuff lately that was really good. I really liked Ambulance. I thought Ambulance was fucking great. Pain and Gain, uh, 13 Hours, I thought those were all great. But he gets too caught up in his own camera work, and that's a thing that really drags his stuff down. Like, the drone stuff in Ambulance was impressive, but it wasn't necessary. What I hate about The Rock, and the only thing I hate about The Rock is he started his whole camera shaky, zoom in, zoom out for no fucking reason whatsoever. You're in the middle of a car chase. The cameras are already moving around. The vehicles are already moving around. Why are you zooming in and out and making me want to puke? Oh, God. Especially in uh, a city like San Francisco. Oh, gosh. I saw this in a very big, old, like Victorian-style theater in the balcony. Oh, man, it was impressive. Oh, absolutely. I know. I love those kind of fears. The, uh, oh. yeah, so this started, I want to know what it was that made, what is it that, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and this is back when Don Simpson was still alive. He, I think he was in the early stages of this movie was, Hey, Nicholas Cage is a fucking weirdo and he only usually does comedies. Let's cast him in this big epic. I mean, if it wasn't for him being successful with The Rock, I do not see Bruckheimer going to Johnny Depp for uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, God, yes. No, because, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, Bruckheimer, I didn't think was that big of a name up until this movie. Yeah, well, well, Bruckheimer had his heyday in the 80s because he had uh, Flashdance. Oh, yes. Uh, Top Gun. There was, oh, oh, and then he did Beverly Hills Cop. The Beverly Hills Cop movies. He did those. So he did have he did have a hot streak for a little bit there, but then he there's a big gap for some reason, and then he did Days of Thunder, and then just nothing for years. Then he signed a deal with Hollywood Pictures back when that existed. He did The Ref, which I love, but it didn't do well. Then all of a sudden, '95 was his big comeback because he had Bad Boys, Dangerous Minds, and Crimson Tide, and all of a sudden everybody's like, Bruckheimer's back, baby!" Oh yeah. Uh, I did like what he did uh, with the King Arthur film uh, that came out in 2003. Yeah, I'm gonna we're gonna revisit that sometime too. Um, what I don't like about Jerry Bruckheimer is that he threw away Nicolas Cage pretty fucking fast. And either or, or I'm wrong, and it was Disney that said so because um, in 2007, National Treasure two I think made more than the first one. I mean, it was pretty fucking big. And then they just threw his ass away. I mean, they never did a National Treasure 3. They did this fucking TV series, and it doesn't even involve him. What are they thinking, man? I don't know. Seriously, like, did they even bother to ask Nicolas Cage? Was he too busy filming other stuff? I don't know. But, I mean, they already gave, he gave them so many hits. Because we had The Rock, Con Air, Gone in 60 Seconds, and then the two National Treasure movies. And then they just like, eh, we're done with you. But we're going to hold on to uh, fucking Johnny Depp forever and ever and ever. Even way past his expiration date. Oh, God, yes. I mean, they're still talking about having him in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I don't know. I just don't see. I, they, what yeah. They, they, what they, who they threw away? The girl that played Harley Quinn. Uh, Margot Robbie, they threw away her film. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. Again, as far as it goes for uh, the Pirates movies, yeah, Johnny Depp, even if he was offered a lot of money, although I doubt that, he said if he was offered a lot of money, he would not go back. Bullshit. Really didn't that's what, they, that's what yeah, fucking... <laughs> For real, like, what else has he got? I mean, yeah, Amber Heard was definitely, you know, monstrous to him, but he was not innocent either. Yeah, as I say, both seem like they're just fucked up. The whole thing seems manipulated. I don't know what to believe, and I'm not sure I care. Just let it go. Just I'm just letting it go. But Nicolas Cage has never really had any problems, and yet studios threw him away so fucking fast because here's the thing about Nicolas Cage. He loves making movies. He loves anything that would interest him, and I don't think he even cares. Will this be a big success? 
Will this be a huge paycheck? No, it just seems like it would be fun to him. The only problem is because he wasn't careful enough, he ended up in a place where, oh, he way overspent, didn't keep up on his taxes, and then he had to take whatever he could to pay the bills. And if that's showing up for two days in a direct-to-video movie that no one gives a shit about that looks terrible, so be it. He had to pay his bills. So now with... You know, all his debt paid off a few years ago, and then he does, like, you know, Mandy, The Color Out of Space, Pig. You know, that kind of set him in the right direction. Movies Wonderland. Yeah, that one's fine. I, I don't. I think he's great. I don't think the plot's that great. I think the the it's a little shaky. But here, we're talking top-tier $75 million studio summer production, and they just give it to a guy. Yes, I know he won the Oscar, but... He didn't win the Oscar until three months before this came out. Leaving Las Vegas wasn't even in theaters yet when they gave him this. So it's so fucking strange for this to happen and to circle it all back. All-star cast. Holy fuck. This is a new formula too for Bruckheimer is that his entire cast is going to be loaded to the gills with people you know. Absolutely. I mean, Ed Harris, uh, David Morris, John, Mc John McGinley. Yeah, who you don't? He kind of wait. Am I thinking of another movie? There's another movie I saw McGinley in, and he's barely in it. I can't remember now. Well, I know he was in uh, Platoon. Uh, let me look him up. I saw him in something. He was just a sniper in a helicopter. I only knew it was him because you saw him from the side. We just watched it. Uh, go ahead though. Uh, it oh, it was seven. Was it? it was seven. He's barely in that movie. Uh, okay. Okay. Tony Todd, Joaquin Woodbine, man, so many big people. Oh, and then Danny Nucci we saw again. He yeah, was, uh, after Eraser. Danny, he, was in, yeah. Yeah, he was in Eraser. But, I mean, Michael Bean, as the, who you think, and, and they do a rope-a-dope on you, is, oh, he's not going to be uh, killed because he's the guy who's going to guide them the whole way because he was still somewhat of a name at this time. Nope, they take Absolutely. him out. Absolutely. Yeah, they take him out, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, God, that entire team got wiped out, and it's like, damn, only freaking Danny Nucci's character just stayed in there with him. He would have survived. Yeah. Well, he always seems like a guy who's ripe to be killed in a big budget movie because it's this Eraser and Titanic. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, oh, God, Titanic. You're right. <laughs> Shit. That's right. He was Jack's best friend. I think he gets caught up in, like, the blades of the ship or something horrifying. No, like, one of the, uh, one of the exhaust, one of those giant, like, exhaust pipes of the ship oh. just, like, land on him and a bunch of other people. Holy yeah. shit, are you kidding me? Quentin Tarantino well, did uh, cleanup work on this. No wonder the dialogue's so poppy. That would explain it. Oh, wow. Because it definitely didn't feel too much like Michael Bay dialogue. You know, forced frat boy humor and whatnot. Yeah, so uh, it was originally by two guys, uh, David Wesberg and Douglas Cook. And I remember reading about this at the time. And they were really pissed off that Bruckheimer said, oh, it was a nifty little idea. And they're like, fuck you, the script is great. No, it got cleaned up a lot. So Jonathan Hensley came in and cleaned it up. And then Aaron Sorkin did a lot of dialogue work. And then they had Tarantino do a polish. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this one. Oh, good. yeah, rightfully so. Oh, God, because without that, I think it would have been, you know, just as bad as the dialogue from fucking Transformers, the first one anyway. <laughs> The um, <laughs> the scene in this movie that it drives me fucking insane is he clearly had a good opportunity to put the one loose, green, toxic, whatever it is, away. He had a million seconds to do it. Oh, no, he has to carry it around because Bruckheimer thinks, or Bay thinks, oh, this is an excellent idea to escalate things to a ridiculous degree later where he has to inject himself. And I just, it's fucking stupid. It's like in the in Con Air when he goes through that thing, um, Malkovich, when he's handcuffed to the ladder of the ambulance, whatever, and he goes through that thing, he should have been dead. But no, somehow he finds himself in a construction area, being up on a conveyor belt, and then a thing pummels a skull. I mean, like, enough is enough. Stop. Oh, yeah. Bad Boys. Remember we discussed it. It was like, it w he should have just hit the wall and it blown up and flipped over or whatever, but no. He had to survive it, and they had to have that, don't do it, you're a good cop, good cops don't shoot you, whatever, and then, you know, that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that really stretched it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, but when he injected that one green bulb into uh, Gregory Sporletter's uh, mouth, oh, gosh, that's never a pretty sight. And that was, a, but you know, considering what that character did to Ed Harris, 
uh, you know, mutinying against them. Yeah. Yeah, no. He deserved it. And that's the thing about this antagonist. Like, he wants justice uh, for what was done to him and his men and, like, all the stuff he'd been through. And, you know, being screwed over by the military industrial by the military, whom he served for so many years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's the only way that Ed Harris would ever take this role is that it was more dense and complicated than just a simple terrorist. And I think that's why Aaron Sorkin was brought in because he had just come off of a few good men. So he knew military, you know, he knew how to handle the dialogue as well. And I think he probably got Ed Harris to sign on. I wouldn't doubt it. And again, Ed Harris played this part again so well. Yeah, he didn't want to kill like 70,000 people with any of those missiles at all. No, he just wanted, again, justice to some form and to be listened to. Yeah, it's so it's so insane that he could have gone a different path. He could have done like what Jon Stewart did, you know, when he was talking about the burn pits. He could have built some sort of coalition that went around and gave speeches and, and, and went in front of Congress and stuff like that he could have done that but no his idea was so streamlined to his career his military team that went with him and turns out a lot of his team didn't give a fuck about people they only wanted the money so it's so strange that after all it was said and done they still wanted to launch the bomb (laughs) like guys you've lost you just can't face it of course yeah no david morris yeah you know, for a brief second, it looked like he betrayed him, but he was the only one who ended up having Ed Harris's back. Yeah, he, he was just and, uh, uh, playing them. Exactly. Just to kind of get them to drop their guard. And Tony Todd, off oh, when he got impaled. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not and enough that he fell. <laughs> he goes, right. you know that song, The Rocket Man? Yeah, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Sean Connery, of course. Oh, fucking amazing in this. This was his big comeback. I mean, there was a few years there where it got a little dry. And this is when he became, like... Cause, I mean, I don't. you weren't really around to see it. Um, oh, like Highlander? Well, so when he was doing Highlander, his career was over. I mean, it was fucking dried up. All he had was that one Bond comeback in 83, Never Say Never Again. For maybe five or six years it was pretty bad he was taking whatever he could just to pay the bills you know and, and like sir knight and the green or no sword of the valiant which is sir gawain and the green knight highlander stuff like that uh untouchables brought him back up but not he still wasn't a star he was still a support um so like he did the presidio and then he was indiana jones the last crusade uh the hunt for october really helped but then after that, you yeah. look at the films he did after that, and they didn't do very well. At least, I don't recall. And, you know, he's doing Highlander 2 a year and a half after Hunt for October. But this, this, his name is first. He got the huge paycheck. He gets the, you know, the, the, the forefront of the poster. And then after this, he's just a star for the rest of his career. He is an A-lister. Yes, absolutely. Up until, up until he retired. Yeah, it's so funny. He didn't take The Matrix because he didn't understand it. He didn't take Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand it. He didn't understand League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but he said, well, fuck, I missed out on those last two. I better take this. And then he was like, oh, shit, I retire. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, God, considering how much it deviated from the original source. Ugh. Well, it's just, a, I don't care if it is the exact source material. It's still like, oh, this is a questionable. Like, the, I, the, I don't think At they can best. be... What do they call that? Gothic, uh, steampunk, gothic, whatever that is, that genre that was popular for a short period of time is really hard to get right because it's mostly a visual thing, not so much a plot-oriented thing because Van Helsing in this back to or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen back-to-back really just shut the door on steampunk. I know. Just a damn shame. And I actually enjoyed Van Helsing. Eh, I'll revisit one day. We we should do a whole mini series of like movies that were massive, massive flops, and see what we think of them. Oh no, definitely. I mean, we yeah, did. We did. We haven't seen them in a while. Yeah, we haven't done Cutthroat. We did Cutthroat Island, but I think that's the only one that was a massive flop that we were like, hey, it ain't that bad. Yeah, a little overhated. Yeah, but yeah, again, as you said, like loaded, a loaded cast, intense action, and that. And Nicholas Cage's like own uh, little story where he's like trying to remain faithful to his wife, but you know, and having to work for the feds, and his expertise was needed on you know disarming the bombs, <laughs> just putting through her through hell, and the way she was just so um, 
boastful, but you know, she was very charging. She was, you know, <laughs> really trying. Just really forceful into like trying to set him straight. Yeah, I really thought she was gonna be a big star after this. She's so insanely likable. The only thing she really did after this that people know is uh, Vegas, that show with James Caan, and she's in the, the best character in, in the whole series. I mean, absolutely. And what I mean, she's a soap opera actress, and they just never really let her break out beyond that. But I feel like she should have been a lead. Like I mean, she should have got her own movies. She should have been like at least a support in studio films, and it just never happened. I know it's a damn shame. I love with SMR still. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, this is like the the really breakout for Michael Bay. From hey, Bad Boys is pretty good. Let's give this guy another shot too. Holy shit, the biggest director for years. <laughs> when it came to action, hands down. Yeah. And that last line though, I couldn't help but get enough of when they're finally they finally got married. They're driving away, and of course, all those uh, documents he got from Sean Connery. Oh man, he finally looks at them all. Hey honey, you want to know who really killed JFK? <laughs> and it just ends on that. Well, like, oh, and shoot. They, yeah. And they said that there was going to, they were developing a sequel where he was on the run with his wife. Cause they knew those secrets or whatever, but they realized it, that's just not what the audience would probably want to see is them as fugitives, you know? So they just let it go. And I, I think I'm fine with that. Oh, absolutely. No, for sure. And especially with, I mean, Nicolas Cage himself already had to, you know, lie to, you know, chain of command that Sean Connery's character was dead just so he can see his daughter again. Yeah. Did we did we ever find out if the church at the end of this movie is the same church from Last Man Standing or we just thought it was? I don't think either one of us looked. I know, we didn't. So, oh, God. It sure, it sure looks like the same church. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I mean, depending on where they were shooting it, it just might be. Yeah. All right. I'm roasting in this recording room, so uh, it's an hour. We're done. <laughs> Jacob, send us out. Clean yourself up. All right. Namaste. Good luck, my friends. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. And I'm going to gut you, boy. <laughs> I think that's a line. <laughs> we used to repeat this all the time to each other because we thought it was hilarious. I'm going to gut you. Boy, <laughs> what's wrong with these people? <laughs> oh man, no, seriously, going back to Christopher Walken and Last Man Standing, Jesus. I mean, uh, what was the other one he did, uh, with uh, Sean and Chris and uh, Chris Penn? Hmm, oh, at close range. Yeah, that's it. Oh my god, that's when he showed how really evil and sinister he yeah, was. Yeah, that's another one that's on the list of movies we missed. So when, uh, so I, I haven't told the audience this. I know we wrapped the episode up, but this is like a little, hey, uh, uh, stinger. Um, uh, once we get to the end of this year, which usually happens earlier for us because you get insanely swamped once October hits. Um, so oh, there's, yeah. like a, there's like a two, two and a half month period where it's insane. And then he, and you know, we all have our holidays and we got to cool down. So we usually don't record till after Christmas again. So 97 will probably be the final, maybe 98. I doubt it though. Cause this is 96 is super fucking long. Um, but then we're going to go back, uh, and we're going all the way back to the sixties. I'm going to give Jacob some movies that he has never seen. And we got to watch, we've got to talk about some of the classics, like the great escape, you know, and bullet and stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, um, dirty Harry stuff in the sixties and seventies. And then we'll grab some of the movies from the eighties and nineties that we missed. We did none of the Jack Ryan movies. None. We skipped them for some fucking reason because it was part of a bundle that I so it never shows up on my list in Wayne's World and stuff like that that we talked about before. So that's kind of what the next year is going to be. If Jacob wants to continue, of course, it will be our 10th anniversary of this. Yeah, I'm still down. Cool. I love doing this. this is, it's more than, I mean, I, there was time when I wanted to be super successful and make money with this. And then it just turned into a thing that wasn't that driven to constantly promote that it's just for it's just for me to hang out and discuss things that I love with my friends. I mean, Jacob is my brother from the West Coast. I mean, he's the closest thing to family I have uh, that's not actually my family. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. No, and I appreciate that, man. Heck, uh, with things like this, discussing and rewatching old movies, yeah, no, I just find it extremely fun to go through them all again. Yeah, and I was thinking, just for fun, maybe do a real short season doing some newer cartoons. Because remember, we stopped... I want to say late 90s, maybe early 2000s, but there's been some cartoons 
that had, you know, like uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, you know, stuff like that. Invaders in. Yeah, uh, Invaders. Yeah, right. You haven't done Invaders in. Holy shit! I just watched the movie too. Um, but there's some Cat like, dog. huh? Do we discuss Cat Dog? I uh, maybe or Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. <laughs> there's some stuff that we missed, so it'd be fun oh, yeah. if we went back for like a four or five, you know, uh, a season. We're like the Brits. We don't have to do 24 episodes a season every single way. We do it when we're ready. <laughs> exactly. All right. Take time. All right, now we're actually done. Bye, everybody.